a podcast brought to you by Energy Live News. Christian and Richard, thank you very much for joining us at Talking Energy. Uh, firstly, let's start up with uh, you talking about yourselves. Uh, so, Christian, if you want to tell us a bit, a little bit about what you do, where you come from. <laughs> sure. So, um, my name is Christian Coles. Um, I've been in the energy market for probably longer than I care to remember these days. Uh, I joined uh, uh, an oil company straight out of university, worked in their back office. Um, I worked for a couple of uh, oil majors um, over the years. Um, getting into the, uh, into the trading world, uh, and then moved across to Macquarie Bank um, in 2005, where I, was, I ended up being head of uh, gas and power trading at, at Macquarie. I was also one of the team that acquired Corona Energy. I sat on the board of Corona Energy. I left there in 2013 um, to come here, and um, I think the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> uh, and Richard, yourself? Sure. Um, so following finishing university, I did a master's in climate change and risk. Then I worked. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, um, it did transition into energy. Um, then I worked as an analyst in a couple of different roles. And then since 2008, I've been working with um, yeah, really European industrial companies on a range of risk management products across energy markets, um, both physical and financial structures. So it seems like you both of you have been in the industry for quite a while. Um, so Christian, did you think initially joining, was the energy sector quite um, something that you thought you would join? Honestly? After university? Honestly, <laughs> I fell into it. I was, I was in a fortunate position where uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine was working for, for the company I ended up working for, Amaro Hess, and he said, why don't you come and join us? And, and literally, I was straight out of university, didn't really know what I wanted to do and it seemed like a good place to, to go and work and, and actually looking back in hindsight it was a good decision. What would you say attracted you about um, the industry? The industry itself, it was, at, the, at the time I joined I was mostly involved in the gas market and it was at that point where the, it was really deregulating in the UK and I think you know that kind of change, and it, the, the, I guess the change the process it was going through was really exciting at the time. There was a lot of new things happening and a lot of opportunities particularly for, for young people who were prepared to get stuck into it. And Richard, you went to studied at university. Yeah. Um, what what was thing that attracted you? Did it was it something you were thinking about coming into? Yeah, I mean, I think at university, I mean, I I was I was doing a lot on climate change, um, and I think obviously in the context of that discussion, energy is unavoidable. Um, so, you know, I was looking at you know at the back end of university a lot on CO two pricing, gas pricing, power pricing. Um, and then, yeah, fell into, into energy from there. Um, I mean, the thing I like about it really is that energy, is, it's, it's unavoidable. You know, it's, as, a, as a market, everyone's got some exposure to it. And I think, you know, right now where we are with Brook Green, we see that more than ever. Um, so that's a nice transition into Brook Green. Uh, so if you could tell us a little bit more about what the company does, um, yep. how long it's been established for. Yeah, so we, we set Brook Green up in 2015. Um, you know, I think both Christian and myself and the rest of the management team. Um, we've got a lot of experience working with industrial companies and you know, large end users um, you know, in the UK and across Europe. And you know, I, think, I think the attitude was that what we wanted to do was bring some of our 
sort of expertise and experience on the, the financial side and the structuring side into the supply markets. I think you know, our feeling was that the supply markets were more limited than they should be in terms of the scope of products that was available to large end users of energy. Um, and so, you know, and I think the other thing was that whilst I guess the domestic space and the smaller end of the market felt like it was very saturated and very full, you know, for larger consumers who ironically have actually got the much bigger spend and requirement for expertise, the amount of suppliers and, you know, I guess counterparts that they could go to was far more limited. Um, and for you, what was it, um, what was the transition for you coming into Brook Green? So my, like Richard, my, my background over the last sort of five years had been really working with those large industrial consumers in, in the UK and continental Europe. Um, we'd done quite a lot of work with some of the smaller utilities in the UK. And it was almost a, it was almost a light bulb moment for us. I think we, we kind of were looking at these companies and we were looking at what we were doing, think, thinking, actually, we, we can see a gap. We can see a space where you know, we can put our expertise into that space. And actually, we think we can build a pretty significant and, and, and valuable business off the back of it. Uh, so what is it that Brook Green offers? So I guess with Brook Green, I mean, the key thing that we're trying to do is be specialised. Um, you know, what you're not going to see us do is go, right, you know, we're going to start servicing, you know, pubs, small shops, domestic households. Um, you know, it's just not where we see ourselves as being able to add value. Um, you know, what we want to be able to do is focus on consumers with you know, material energy spends that are impacted by, you know, market changes, regulatory changes, and actually, you know, help them, you know, optimise and, you know, improve, improve um, you know, I guess, their interaction with the energy markets. Um, so let's move on to some of the issues uh, currently facing in the energy market. Uh, so Christian, if you want to start off with what do you think, in your view, are some of the issues we face? I mean, one, of the, one of the big issues we've, we've certainly seen over the last year to 18 months is the volatility in, in the underlying wholesale markets. Um, you know, we've had the beast from the east, we've had a significant run-up in wholesale prices, and that makes it really difficult for the end consumers, A, to work out you know, when, when do they come to the market to, to purchase their, their energy contracts, and B, once they have locked in pricing, what do they do if they've got it wrong? You know, what if they've bought the, high, the, you know, the higher the market? So it's, it's, been, it's been super difficult, I think, for those guys, really, to try and understand what's going on. Um, and that's one area that Brook Green, I think, is pretty good at, is looking at markets and trying to understand what, you know, what's going to happen next from a sort of global market perspective mm -hmm. um, and try to provide some advice. Now, we, we don't always get it right because if we did, then we'd be probably on a, on a beach somewhere. <laughs> but, but ultimately, we have a really good instinct in terms of what the market's doing and a really good network of, of organisations and, and people we speak to to get that, I guess, that, that next level of, of information about where we think prices are going to head. Um, and talking about prices, we've seen uh, non-energy costs go up over the last few years. Um, could you add something on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I guess, from the world we were previously in, you know, very much focused on wholesale markets and, I guess, you know, trading structures. Um, yeah, the non-energy costs are something that are pretty new to us and we've spent an awful lot of time, you know, getting our heads around, modelling out um, and costing into contracts. I think, yeah, what, what, what's clear is that just in the short period of time that we've been in the market since back into 2015 when we set up Brook Green, you know, the non-energy costs have gone up massively. Um, yeah, when we're pricing up electricity contracts now regularly, 
60% of that cost will be non-energy. Um, you know, I take the combined cost of fit, CFD, RO, capacity market over the summer, you know, you're, you're 40, 45 pounds a megawatt hour, it's right on a par with the wholesale price, just those four costs alone. Um, I think our view is that it is likely to flatten out to some extent. Um, I think after EII came in, you know, I think you'll certainly see RO costs plateau. Um, same goes for FIT. Um, CFD is the big one for non-energy costs that we're looking at, where you've got real big swings going forward. Um, and then on top of that, you've obviously got all of the um, transmission and distribution charges um, that are going to be subject to targeted charging review. So it's 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 one of those things that I think, you know, the, the wholesale market. You can look at the screens, you can speak to people in the market, you can form a view, you know, I'd say relatively easily. Um, but the non-energy cost is obviously subject to a completely different regulatory process and a level of uncertainty as well. Um, and we hear a lot from suppliers, or we have in the past, about uh, non-energy costs being a burden um, for consumers, yeah. business customers. Um, is there anything they can do to mitigate that in the long run, or be it energy or non-energy costs? So, so the wholesale markets, you know, you, you've obviously, you've got some control over what you're paying in wholesale costs simply by when you're coming into a contract, when you're signing on the bottom line. That doesn't really exist in the non-energy costs. So your timing doesn't make such a difference. That being said, you know, there are certainly things you can do in terms of you know, bigger picture infrastructure, what you're doing behind the meter, you know, what solutions you're putting in place, how you're optimising. Um, you know, things on site at your end that can reduce your non-energy cost exposure. Um, but that being said, I mean, there are, there are still a lot of uncertainties, I think, looking two, three years out, um, you know, how those costs are going to you know, change anyway. Um, and while we're talking about prices, um, like I said, energy bills, energy costs are a big, um, is, uh, come as a huge impact for a lot of businesses. Um, are there any tips or any advice that you could give for uh, business customers? Maybe your three top tips that you might have um, to reduce those costs or kind of control their costs in the long run. I think probably the first thing I would say is that they need to understand what the energy cost means to them. What, what, what you know, if the price goes up, what does that mean to their underlying business? So they need to really understand what risk, the risk associated with the markets moving up. Um, because that then, enables them to say, right, if it goes past this price, it's going to cause me a problem. Um, so it enables, it informs them when to make a decision. Um, I think once they, they can do that, it, it really, I guess, puts them in a position whereby they can drive the process as opposed to sitting back and just saying, well, I need to lock in my, my energy contract for October. Mm -hmm. Or do I wait? Or what do I do? And it's so they can then take a much more informed decision about that, that process. So moving on to uh, disruptive supply, we've heard yeah. this term disruptive uh, quite often over the last year or so. Uh, what are your views on disruptive supply and new technologies that are coming into the market at the moment? Fine. Um, well, I think, you know, across Brook Green and certainly, you know, our management team, we're completely unanimous on the fact that it's going to happen. You know, we've got to embrace these technologies. Um, you know, the grid, more renewables coming on, more inter intermittency on the generation side, um, less flexibility, um, and, you know, more of that flexibility needs to come from the demand side. I think what we, what we see, though, is that the, the energy industry as a whole needs to do a better job communicating this to customers. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, customers' energy bills, for reasons on the wholesale side, on the non-energy side, they're going up. Um, and at the same time, there are all these different mechanisms that have been put in front of customers that you know, offer them these potential savings. I think you know, the key thing for energy suppliers and anyone in the market to be doing is to distill all these different mechanisms down for customers so that they can make more sense of it. I think what, what we're not convinced at the moment is that there's enough regulatory certainty and that the rewards for flexibility are as high as they need to be for consumers to actually get sufficiently motivated about a lot of those sort of disruptive technologies. Um, and Christian, I think one of the technologies that keep popping up is battery storage currently. Uh, would you say that is, um, in your view, or what you've, in, in terms of what you've heard from industry, is there a demand for that? Are we catching on with the technologies that are coming in? We're certainly starting to see a lot more projects um, involving batteries. I think one of the key things moving forward is that, you know, as the, as the, techno the battery technology gets better, we'll start to see a decreasing cost. Uh, to the point where it really does start to make economic sense for, you know, an office, for example, to install a battery, and even down to, you know, a home installing a battery. Um, so I think moving forward, what we'll see is that technology piece will drive that flexibility, both from the, the supply side and from the demand side. I think that's the key, and certainly from, from Brook Green's perspective, you know, we want to get to the point using, um, you know, our, our portfolio, which is, you know, growing day by day, so we can actually provide our customers with, a, I guess, a, a spectrum or a suite of um, demand-side response uh, type products that enables them to use the ones that are best for them. Um, and ultimately, you know, that will generate value for both, both the customer and you know, provide much more flexibility to the grid. Mm -hmm. um, and I mentioned about new entrants into the market. Uh, we have suppliers entering the market, we also have TPIs coming in, so brokers. Um, and there have been issues in the industry uh, about a few rogue brokers. There are good brokers out there, but a few rogue brokers. Um, do you think there should be a co code of conduct or some kind of regulations in place to ensure these issues are tackled? So we're only dealing with a small subset of the brokers. You know, we're dealing with just over 100 of them. And my understanding is there are somewhere between two and 5,000 out there in the market. Um, I would say that as a whole, the brokers we're dealing with, you know, we feel that they conduct themselves very well. We feel that they add value to the customer. Um, and we actually find that they help us getting transactions done. Um, that being said, clearly it's not the case for everyone in the market. And we think there is a need for some sort of regulation. Um, I guess the one thing on that we'd say is that the regulator needs to be very careful how they do it. Um, regulating that many TPIs is really going to be very difficult. Um, and we'd suggest that it gets done through the suppliers. How uh, can suppliers ensure that brokers are doing a good job? Okay, um, I think ultimately what, what we're talking about the majority of the time with brokers is transparency. So I guess you know what the supplier can do is provide colour to the customer on any commercial agreement between the supplier and the, the broker. Um, you know, whether that's about you know, what the commission is that's being paid, you know, how that commission's been paid, is it upfront or is it pro rata with consumption? Um, and th those are changes that certainly for us would be fairly quick to implement. Mm -hmm. uh, and how big a role or how important a role uh, would you say brokers play in the energy industry? I think they, they provide um, a crucial role, um, particularly for, for organisations that don't have their own 
specific energy purchasing teams, whereby they allow um, the consumer to canvas, I guess, the whole of the market and find the best price for them. Um, you know, so I think you know, if, if they didn't have, if we didn't have brokers in the space, potentially you'd, you'd see not stagnation, but you'd certainly see um, less competition. I think so. I think those those brokers do a really good job of of actually sourcing the lowest prices and ultimately keeping the uh, the suppliers honest. Another question I've got to ask you is about Brexit. Uh, we had hoped by this interview we would have a decision in the UK, but we've got to wait until the 31st of October. Uh, so initially, your, your thoughts and what do you hope to get out of Brexit? Well, I think everyone's suffering from a bit of Brexit fatigue. I know I am. Um, whether you, you want in or you want out, I think the one thing that, that everyone we've spoken to, whether it's individuals or businesses, is they just want some clarity and some certainty on, on what's going to happen moving forward. I think that's, a, you know, that's certainly a, a key issue because without that certainty it becomes very difficult for, for businesses to plan uh, what they're going to do, not just today or tomorrow, but, but over the coming years. Um, so I think the number one thing we want from, from Brexit is some, some clarity on what's going to happen moving forward. Um, I feel like also the word uncertainty has been thrown around a lot. Every, every time you ask a business about what they want from government or what they want in the industry, it's always certainty. Um, so what do you, in terms of certainty, what do you want from government or from uh, the regulators? That's a good question. I think um, you want them to be consistent. So I, the big thing about running a business is being able to plan forward and actually make decisions about what you're going to do, not tomorrow or the next day, but for next year and the year after. Mm -hmm. And that's very difficult in the backdrop of Brexit um, because, as, you know, as Richard said, it's... There's a lot of uncertainty around. Um, and so, you know, I think we just need some clarity on where, A, we're going to go, we're going to be in, we're going to be out, and what does that look like? Um, but also from a re regulatory perspective, what does that look like over the next five to ten years, um, which just enables businesses to, to, plan, um, to plan with much more confidence than, than they, would, they would do right now? I mean, I think the, the main thing is you know, certainty on you know, how things are going to be costed. Um, you know, ultimately, if the government's saying that, you know, we need these renewables on the grid, you know, we need the demand side of the market to be doing X, Y, Z, um, you know, if you truly want to actually, you know, incentivise investment, you know, attract investment, you know, we need long-term price signals. And I look at the market at the moment and, you know, across so many different costs, you know, you just don't have that certainty. Um, so I think, you know, you know, for the end user's perspective, um, yeah, it's absolutely crucial. Um, and in your view, uh, is there anything businesses can do or take into consideration in the lead up to Brexit? Again, it's, that's a difficult one to answer. I mean, certainly if you're, if you're looking at your business and you're, you've got a supply that's coming up for renewal and it's, you know, maybe it's in October or November or December, I think you need to understand the risks associated with either doing something or not doing something and how does the, the underlying price of your energy contract affect your business. I think once you've done that, you can actually start to really make a decision about, do I just wait because prices might go up, prices might go down, or do I need to do something now because actually the price I'm being offered now by a supplier makes sense to my business now. Um, so I think until, until the business can really understand the level of risk associated with either enter, entering into a, a new supply agreement or not entering and waiting to get some more, more certainty or clarity from the Brexit process, it's very difficult for them to make any decisions. So moving forward, what kind of energy future do you see or hope to see? I think in terms of the future of energy, 
it really comes down to providing energy that doesn't have a big carbon footprint. Um, you know, and certainly the renewables we're now seeing on the grid have been you know, magnificent in terms of how they've reduced that carbon footprint. Um, the difficulty has been, and, and will be moving forward, is, is how do you deal with the intermittency of, of that? And actually, now we're starting to see technology come to the fore, which allows uh, end users to, to manage their own um, demand side. The, the, the real key and the real, I guess, the real exciting thing about the future of energy is how you marry those two together so that one can fit in, fit in for the other. And, it, you know, I certainly start to think back to things like the beast from the east. You know, moving forward, I'd like to see a world where, you know, we've got, a, you know, a grid that's run on renewables, but actually we can cope with those stress events because, you know, there's so much demand side response uh, in the market that can fill the gap when necessary. Uh, and Richard, yourself? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of change. Um, I think it will be an exciting period for all of the you know, suppliers in the market. I think you know, the key thing for us is that you know, what, what really strikes us is that there's, there's so many different mechanisms, revenue streams um, becoming available to customers. And what needs to happen, and for us the key role of suppliers, is to distill all of that down so that customers can understand it. Um, yeah, the reality is that we still have customers that don't quite understand what's happening in a fixed price electricity or gas deal. Um, you know, and the level of complexity and the need for suppliers to be, you know, presenting knowledge and understanding is only going to increase. So that's, that's one of the things that we really see as crucial going forward. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cool.